0: Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and financial regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly episodes is to update CII members and the general public on developments in corporate governance and financial regulation and CII's related advocacy activities. This update covers the period from August 31st to October 4th. Let's start with the United States Congress. On September 14th, testifying before the Senate Banking Committee, SEC Chair Gary Gensler said he plans to put out for comment proposed rules that would provide investors with more disclosure on cybersecurity, special acquisition companies, variable interest entities, human capital management, corporate political spending, and climate change. He also discussed plans to tighten rules for investment firms that market themselves as green, sustainable, or low carbon. The proposed rules on cybersecurity would ask companies to disclose information about the systems they have in place to govern risks related to this issue, as well as their protocols for reporting security breaches like ransomware attacks. As for special purpose acquisition companies, Chair Gensler pointed to the fees and potential conflicts inherent within those structures. He stated that investors should be given clear information so they can better understand the costs and risks. Along these same lines, Chair Gensler addressed the risks presented by Chinese companies that are listed on U.S. exchanges, but have audit firms that are not inspected by the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. He said the SEC is acting quickly to meet its requirements under the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act signed into law last December. That legislation, supported by CII, prohibits foreign companies from listing their securities on any of the U.S. exchanges if the company has failed to comply with Public Company Accounting Oversight Board audit inspections for three years in a row. He said SEC staff is also working to improve disclosure about Chinese companies that use variable interest entities to raise capital on US exchanges through shell companies located in the Cayman Islands and other jurisdictions. Noting the dramatic growth in funds claiming to use environmental considerations when selecting investments, Tara Gensler said the SEC staff will be looking into what information stands behind those claims and how we can ensure that the public has the information they need to understand their investment choices among these types of funds. Chair Gensler also promised to tighten Rule 10B5-1 to modernize this 20-year-old safe harbor and fill perceived gaps in our insider trading regime. The SEC Chair noted that rules relating to payment for order flow haven't been updated In 16 years, and there's a lack of competition between market-making firms that buy the orders and financial conflicts exist in the process. As a result, J.R. Gensler said retail investors may not be getting the best execution on their stock trades. He promised the SEC would be proposing new rules to ensure a more level playing field and improve competition. Gensler said the SEC was pretty close to releasing a highly anticipated report analyzing January's meme stock spectacle involving GameStop and other companies. On September 23rd at CII's fall conference, Senator Jack Reed of Rhode Island provided an overview of legislation that he has introduced on cybersecurity. The Cybersecurity Disclosure Act would require publicly traded companies to include in their SEC disclosures information on whether any member of the board is a cybersecurity expert, and if not, why having this expertise on the board is not necessary because of other cybersecurity steps taken. The Cybersecurity Disclosure Act, which was introduced by Senator Reid on March 17th, currently has the following six co-sponsors. Senator Susan M. Collins of Maine, Senator Mark R. Warner of Virginia, Senator Kevin R. Kramer of North Dakota, Senator Catherine Cortez Mazzo of Nevada, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon, and Senator Angus S. King Jr. of Maine. On October 5th, the House Financial Services Committee plans to hold a Securities and Exchange Commission oversight hearing at which SEC Chair Gary Gensler will testify. In connection with the hearing, the committee staff issued a number of bills, including a discussion draft of a bill that would adopt near-term legislative priorities of the SEC's Office of Investor Advocate. Those recommendations include improving stock exchange listing standards by requiring that newly listed dual-class stock companies adopt a time-based sunset provision of seven years or less. On October 1st, CII submitted a letter to the chair and ranking member of the Committee on Financial Services expressing strong support for the draft bill. Turning now to recent activities of the Securities Exchange Commission, on September 1st, SEC Chair Gary Gensler addressed the European Parliament Committee on Economic and Monetary Affairs. In his address, Chair Gensler underscored the importance of freshening up the SEC's disclosure regimes to reflect investor demands and said he has directed the staff to take several actions, including developing a proposal for climate risk disclosure requirements, pursuing similar disclosure requirements with respect to human capital board diversity, reviewing current practices and considering recommendations about whether fund managers should disclose the criteria and underlying data they use, To market themselves as green or sustainable, and developing a proposal for the Commission's consideration on cybersecurity risk governance, which he said could address issues such as cyber hygiene and incident reporting. On September 3rd, SEC Commissioner Caroline Crenshaw issued a statement expressing concerns about companies bundling information to avoid stiff SEC penalties. An issue she initially raised at CII's spring conference. In her statement, Commissioner Crenshaw said corporate defendants strategically release bad news in ways that dampen or obscure the market's reaction to news of misconduct. This makes it difficult for the SEC to discern if the bad news or the misconduct led to a drop in the stock price. Commissioner Crenshaw cited the Kraft Heinz Company as an example noting that it announced it was being investigated by the SEC at the same time it announced a cut in dividends and a write-down of goodwill in reporting units and intangible assets. The SEC recently charged Kraft Heinz and two of its executives with engaging in a long-running expense management scheme that resulted in the restatement of several years of financial reporting. Commissioner Crenshaw said that a recent analysis found that such information bundling Results in dramatically fewer successful recoveries by private securities litigants who, unlike the SEC, must prove that corporate stock price losses were directly attributable to the specific bad news. Commissioner Crenshaw noted the study also found that information bundling resulted on average in 21.17 million to 23.45 million lower recoveries for shareholders. Commissioner Crenshaw said the use of this practice by companies make it more difficult for the SEC to determine what misconduct cost shareholders, Has reinforced her push to set penalties based more heavily on other factors, such as punishing misconduct and effectively deterring future violations. On September 9th, the SEC's Investor Advisory Committee met And unanimously approved two recommendations on improving disclosure for special purpose acquisition companies and closing loopholes in and enhancing disclosure on Rule 10B5 1 trading plans for corporate insiders. The Investor Advisory Committee also discussed competition in the auditing profession. Former SEC Chief Accountant Lynn Turner expressed concern over the lack of progress in addressing competition and audit quality and compared the audit landscape to an oligopoly. Mr. Turner referenced CI's support for disclosure of audit quality indicators and recommended that the SEC proceed on that issue. Professor Colleen Hannesberg of Stanford Law School also touted audit quality indicators, saying they were the most practical solution to concerns about audit quality given evaluation challenges. Alistair Thompson of the United Kingdom Competition and Marcus Authority discussed recent recommendations that the United Kingdom require joint audits and ensure that audit firms have a separate governance and compensation for audit and non-audit related services. Sarah Lloyd, Chief Auditor at auditing firm RSM, cautioned that in order for joint audits to be effective, parties would have to accept and respect the roles of audit firms that are not in the big four. Wes Bricker, from big four firm PricewaterhouseCoopers, acknowledged his firm's critical role in building trust in capital markets. On September 22nd at CI's fall conference, SEC Chair Gary Gensler told CI Executive Director Amy Boris that the commission staff is busy writing proposed rules on corporate disclosure of human capital management for diversity, climate risk, and cybersecurity. Kirk Gensler indicated those rules dealing with human capital and climate change will come out between now and next spring. He also said the SEC is working to implement some of the remaining provisions from the 2010 Dodd-Frank Act. That to-do list includes a rule supported by CII to require clawbacks of unearned executive compensation when a company publishes incorrect information in its financial statements. Chair Gensler said that this is a simple concept that executives should not be paid based upon financial performance that is misreported. Another Dodd-Frank provision that still has not been implemented would require companies to disclose information about the relationship between actual executive pay as reported in the proxy and company performance as represented by company stock price performance plus dividends or total shareholder return. The SEC proposed the paper performance rules back in 2015. The SEC chair also said special purpose acquisition companies present fees, expenses, and potential conflicts of interest. He said he's directed the SEC staff to improve disclosure requirements so that special purpose acquisition companies are more transparent to investors. Finally, Chair Gensler also said the commission is looking at ways to hold accountable investment funds that label themselves sustainable. Also, on September 22nd, the SEC's Division of Corporation Finance published a sample letter highlighting comments that it may issue to companies regarding their climate change disclosures or the absence of such disclosures in SEC filings. Consistent with the SEC's existing disclosure framework, in particular the SEC's 2010 guidance regarding disclosure related to climate change, the sample comments take a principles and material-based approach. Issuers are called on to if additional climate change disclosure, whether in the form of a risk factor, litigation, or MDNA disclosure, would be material to investors. Notably, one of the comments in the SEC's sample letter asks the issuer to advise the SEC staff as to what consideration was given to including the same type of climate related disclosure in the issuer's SEC filings. As is included in the issuer's corporate social responsibility report. On September 29th, the SEC voted four to one to propose the most significant reforms to proxy voting transparency in nearly 20 years. Since 2003, the SEC has required mutual funds, exchange traded funds, and other registered management investment companies to report on Form N PX, how they voted on each resolution at shareholder meetings held the previous year. The proposal would build on these requirements in at least three key ways. One, certain institutional investment managers with at least $100 million in assets under management and who are Form 13F filers would be required to make Form N-PX filings on how they voted on say-on-pay proposals. Form 13F filers include many endowments, foundations, and pension funds. A broadened group of investors would have to report the number of shares voted or instructed to be cast, as well as the number of shares loaned but not recalled. This may accelerate reforms of the process that shareholders use to recall their loan shares. Some money managers that lend shares do not recall them in time to vote them because recall cutoff dates often precede distribution of the proxy statements listing voting items. Two. To strengthen the comparability of the filings, the new rules would require the expanded group of investors describe proposals as they are described in the proxy materials. The proposals would be categorized into topics such as board-related, extraordinary transactions, say on pay, shareholder rights, and environment or climate-related. Three, the proposal also would standardize the order of disclosure on form N-PX and require use of XML, structured data language, increasing users' ability to automate data collection. The sole dissenting commissioner, Commissioner Hester Peirce, remarked, quote, our experience with the form N-PX mandate since its adoption in 2003, suggests that we should consider eliminating it altogether, unquote. The 60-day comment period will begin Upon the proposal's publication in the Federal Register, likely giving market participants until early December to provide their input. In other corporate governance-related news, on September 14th, CI sent a letter to the UK Financial Conduct Authority on its proposal to allow companies with dual-class stock structures to be listed on the premium segment of the London Stock Exchange for a maximum of five years. After the five-year period, the company would either have to convert its share structure to one-share, one-vote or list elsewhere. CII wrote a comment letter stating that it continues to oppose the expansion of dual-class share structures, but commended the Financial Conduct Authority's inclusion of controls and limits to mitigate long-term risks associated with unequal voting rights, including the mandatory five-year sunset for premium dual-class share structures. In what the consultation paper is calling a targeted reform of dual-class share structures, the Financial Conduct Authority also proposes the following limitations or controls. One, creating a maximum voting ratio of super-voting shares to publicly limited shares of 20 to 1. Two, limiting who can hold weighted voting shares to only directors and beneficiaries of a director's estate. And three, only allowing the super voting rights to be used on votes to remove the holder as a director. However, if there is a change of control, holders can use weighted voting rights on any voting items. The Financial Conduct Authority's proposed changes on dual class shares largely follow the recommendation made by Lord Jonathan Hill in response to a listing review earlier in 2021. The Financial Conduct Authority is also consulting on changes to rules on free float requirements and minimum market capitalization. The consultation paper indicates that final rules are expected by the end of this year. On September 16th, CI sent a letter to the Financial Accounting Standards Board urging the FASB to prioritize at the top of its agenda ESG-related disclosures and improving the presentation of the Statement of Cash flows. Letter stated that the Financial Accounting Standards Board can help improve ESG-related requirements by sharpening financial statement footnote disclosures on risks related to the following three areas, human capital management, climate change, and income taxes. First, with respect to human capital management, CI suggests that the FASB require a financial statement footnote disclosure about the total cost of a company's workforce, including wages, benefits, and other transfer payments and other employee expenses. The letter notes that many of the amounts to be included in the pro's footnote are already collected by companies' human resources departments and therefore would not likely require costly new systems and changes in control processes. Second on climate change, the letter explains that the FASB staff already has identified disclosures required under existing US generally accepted accounting principles that could be amended by the Financial Accounting Standards Board to improve The information disclosed on climate risk. CI's letter states we believe prioritizing amending those required gap disclosures would improve the information about climate risk, help investors better evaluate potential return on investment, and make more informed comparisons among investment opportunities. Third, on income taxes, CI explains that many investors would like more disclosure of jurisdictional or country by country income taxes paid to help them better understand a company's exposure to potential changes in tax legislation and the global tax risk the company may face. The letter also expressed support for improving the presentation of the statement of cash flows. The letter states that detailed operating cash flows provide much needed data in context, which many investors have been demanding for far too many years. Often, most decision-useful cash flow information such as cash collected from customers, is only available in a statement of cash flows prepared using the direct method, which companies rarely utilize. To correct this situation, CI recommends that the Financial Accounting Standards Board required presentation of cash flows from operating activities under the direct method. letter also suggests that the Financial Accounting Standards Board require more information in the cash flow statement on financial transactions Like reverse factoring and leasing that are increasingly replacing cash transactions. September 22nd, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board unanimously voted to adopt a new rule that would establish a framework to determine whether the board is unable to inspect or investigate completely registered public accounting firms located in a foreign jurisdiction because of a position taken by one or more authorities in that. Jurisdiction. The final rule was adopted generally as proposed with some modifications, including at least one modification taken directly from CII's comment letter. Final rule establishes three main requirements one, the factors the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board will evaluate, and the documents and information the board will consider when assessing whether a determination is warranted. Two, the form, public availability, effective date. And duration of such determinations, and three, the process by which the board will reaffirm, modify, or vacate any such determinations. In making its determinations, the rule requires the public company accounting oversight board to consider three items: one, the ability to select engagements, audit areas, and potential violations to be reviewed or investigated; two, timely access to and the ability to retain and use any document or information. In the possession, custody, or control of the firms or any associated persons thereof that the board considers relevant to an inspection or investigation. And three, the ability to conduct inspections and investigations in a manner consistent with the provisions of the Sarbanes Oxley Act and the rules of the board as interpreted and applied by the board. If approved by the Securities and Exchange Commission, the rule will immediately become effective and the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board will, as described to the rule, promptly make any determinations under the rule that are appropriate and consistent with the language and intent of the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act, the bill passed last year that the PCOB rule would implement. On September 23rd, CII filed an amicus brief supporting a lawsuit challenging amendments To the shareholder proposal rules the SEC approved in September 2020. CII's brief provides historical evidence that shareholder proposals have promoted good corporate governance practices and long-term shareholder value. The CII brief also explains that the higher thresholds for resubmitting proposals could make refiling at dual-class stock companies impossible in many cases. The lawsuit was filed by the Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility, James McRitchie, and as you so. CII's brief argues that shareholder proposals have made significant improvements in corporate governance even without majority support. Specifically, CII's brief points to eight advances in governance practices that companies adopted after receiving shareholder proposals that often did not achieve majority support. Those eight items are one, board declassification, two, proxy access, three, majority voting and director elections, four, separating the roles of chair and CEO, five, putting executive compensation plans up for say on pay votes, six, eliminating pensions for outside directors, seven, increasing disclosure about corporate political spending, and eight, sustainability reports that detail a company's activities on environmental human rights, and other issues that may not be reflected in the company's financial or performance metrics. Uh, The brief also argues that before it made changes to the ownership and resubmission thresholds in the shareholder proposal rules, the SEC should have first solved vote counting problems in the proxy plumbing system and addressed how resubmission thresholds work at companies with dual-class stock structures. Finally, on September 27th, CI sent a letter to the International Accounting Standards Board generally supporting the board's priority list in its agenda consultation. Overall, CI's letter recommends that the International Accounting Standards Board consider the importance of investor views when compiling their agenda. Overall, CI's letter recommends that the International Accounting Standards Board consider the importance of investor views when compiling its agenda. CII's letter suggests that if the International Accounting Standards Board determines that a potential project is not of sufficient importance to investors, the project should not be added to the work plan. Among the potential projects identified by the International Accounting Standards Board, CII's letter recommends that it prioritize the following four projects. One, tangible assets. Two, climate-related risks. Three, income taxes. And four, statement of cash flows. That completes my monthly corporate governance and financial regulatory update. If you have any questions regarding any of the issues discussed, please feel free to email me at jeff, J-E-F-F at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Till next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.